what a great worship set that was, wasn't it? And I'm glad we came back to what a beautiful name at the end because that one line in there, he didn't want heaven without us. Boy, that's a keeper line. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, that's the gospel, isn't it? He didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down to us. What a great line. I bring you greetings from the Lidditz Church. It's great to see everyone here this morning. It's a privilege to be here and speak to you. And I'm going to speak to you in part two of something we started last week. And it's something that every Christian needs to be good at. You know, there are certain things in the Christian life we can afford to be bad at, okay? This is an area where we can't afford to be bad at doing this, and that is finding God's will for our lives. It's really important that we know how to do this as Christians. You know, before you're saved, this doesn't trouble you or puzzle you what, because you make life's decisions based on who? Me. What's best for me? What's in my best interest? Now I become a Christian, I start to read the Bible, and I get grounded in the Word of God, and I start to read, and I come across many places where I hear about God's will for my life, that God has a plan for my life, and that I submit and surrender everything to Him. Now my decision-making has another element. Now it's not just about me, it's about God, and what does He want for my life? Well, for some of us, it adds a, a, a layer of complex, uh, complexity, and we don't know quite how to do this. You know, every stage of life, we, we have these forks in the roads, don't we? As, as young people, we have to make decisions about friends, about the kind of person we're going to be. Even we, we get a little older, and then we have to figure out what college to go to, or if we're going to go to college, maybe we're going to go to Votech, Votech or maybe we're going to get involved with the trades, big decisions to make. We make that decision, and then along comes, well, maybe it's time to be married. So what kind of person do I want to marry? It's a long, that's a long time to be married. The Bible says it's a lifelong commitment. How do we make that decision? And then we, kids come along, and all kinds of new decisions have to be made. Some of you are in the middle of making some of those. What kind of schooling should they be involved? What kind of parenting should, I, should we do? All kinds of decisions that we have to make and we can't afford to be bad at determining God's will. I told you last week that I went through a time after college where I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I wanted to be a totally surrendered, sold out Christian and I was, deter I was trying to figure out what to do. And so it's, I don't know if someone told me this. But I gathered bits and pieces of things, and I, I figured, well, I'm going to go to a place called Lums Pond down at, I went to the University of Delaware, and the Lums Pond was a little park. So I went there all day. I fasted. I brought my Bible. I had a little something to write in, a little notebook. And I thought, in one day, I am going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out what God's will for my life is. And at the end of that day, while I had a nice time of communion, it was a nice day, I remember being out there. I remember being hungry. Um, and I, I wrote a lot of things in my journal. But at the end of the day, I hadn't figured it out. Anybody experienced something like that before? But I, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. So this talk really is, is if, if I could go back and talk to that 22-year-old, this is what I would tell him. 
It's seven things. There's not just one thing. There's seven things. If you have your outlines in the bulletin, you can pull those out. What I've been able to glean from my reading of Scripture, my listening to others, is there's not just one way. There's seven things. And last week we talked about three of them. I have an acrostic called choices, life's choices. S is for Scripture. We talked about as Christians, we're people of the book. Uh, this, we have to start with Scripture. How does the Bible guide us? Most of God's will is in the Bible, but, there are, but decisions like I was trying to make, I, can't have, I don't have a chapter and a verse necessarily to go to and say, yeah, in Joshua 1, it tells me, boom, to go do this in, with my life. We talked about how important counsel is. Some of you already do that. How important it is to bring godly counsel into my life to bear on the decision. And lastly, we talked about the, the consequences of our, our decisions, okay? C for consequences. We talked about the area of wisdom. How important it is that we exercise wisdom. I, I told you that we're, we're supposed to keep growing in childlike faith, but we're also to be a wise person in the way we conduct ourselves. So... Today we're going to come to number um, four, the four remaining things I want to talk to you about today. And I mentioned last week, and maybe it's a theme verse uh, out of Psalm 143, verse 10. You don't need to turn there. Let me just read it to you. It says this, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 143, 10. Teach me, God, to do your will. May your good spirit lead us on level ground. We have God's spirit to lead us in the Christian life, don't we? What a wonderful promise that is. And if I can just say one thing, some of you who are astute, you're, you're going through my list and you're saying, Andy, you're forgetting one thing. You're forgetting prayer. What about prayer? How come prayer doesn't show up? The reason it doesn't show up is because it's so central to the Christian life that in our prayer to God, we're speaking with him, we're communing with him on a daily basis. Prayer is the way we request God's will. These seven things are the way he answers, okay? So prayer is a significant part of this, but it's a part of the Christian life in general. And all I'm saying is these are the seven ways God would answer our prayer. So let's start with the letter E for endowment. What do, what do I mean by endowment? We're all given a gift package, aren't we? Every one of us sitting here, including myself, have been given so many things, but we've been given a personality, spiritual gifts, and all kinds of talents as well that you were received and some which you've developed on your own but you we have this endowment that God gives us that is a means of guidance look over over in 1 Corinthians 12 7 again we're going to turn to the Bible in a minute here but but just let me read this one this is about spiritual gifts now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good we all have a spiritual gift Uh, many times there's multiple gifts kind of in our gift mix we have, okay? How does that lead, Andy, how does that lead me? Well, it leads me in, my, in, in so many different ways because if I'm given an opportunity, 
to do something, let's say even volunteer here at the church or be involved, we ask ourselves, do I, am I gifted to do that? You know, we have these wonderful voices that we just experience, but not all of us should be up on stage, right? Singing, okay? If you have the gift of music, you should be here. But if you don't, you should be down here singing, right? Like me, down in the... So if, and how do we know what our gifts are? People are blessed when we use them. If you're the only one blessed, whether your gift of music, you probably don't have it, okay? <laughs> Keep using it in the shower, or like I did on the, on the way up here, okay? I was using my gift, but you, I, I can't bless you with it. If I have the gift of leadership or people following me, if I have the gift of teaching or people learning from me, if I have the, if I have the, 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 the dexterity and the, and the gifts that we, we that work with my hands or the craftsmanship, do the things I build people use, are they beautiful? You know, these are ways that God leads us. You know, uh, Eric Rees, in co- uh, combination with Rick Warren in the Purpose Driven Church, they use a, a concept called shape. Some of you are familiar with it. It's a book called Shape by Eric Rees, okay? It came out of the Rick Warren's church. And he talks about sp- the, the, the five different things we're given. Spiritual gift, S, heart, H, abilities, A, P, personality, and E for experience, Okay? So the first one is spiritual gifts. We talked about that. The second one is heart, which I'm going to get to in a minute. Your abilities, our personality, and the experiences that God gives us, all these things help us in making decisions. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. It's just a reality that the way you are made helps you, it helps you decide God's will for your life. His endowment or gifting is a means of guidance. Some, not all, but some decisions are connected to the way I'm wired. It's certainly true for career. Or think about this. If you're not handy and you're about to buy a house and your inspector tells you this is a real fixer-upper and you say to your, and you have to ask yourself, do I fix up? Maybe I shouldn't buy a fixer-upper because I'm not a guy who fixes up. And so I bought a fixer-upper in 2001, and it, was a, it wasn't a, a great decision. I won't tell you about some of the consequences of that. You see what I'm talking about, my friends, that our endowment, the gift that God gives us, the, the, the various ways that I'm wired helps us make decisions. Now, what about Heart in our little acrostic, heart. How does my own desire and my own passion of my heart help guide me? And does God care? I said last week, for a while in my Christian life, I thought of it like this. If I want it, God probably doesn't want it for me. Did you follow that? If if I really want something... I had this view of God that he, I, it's probably not something God wants for me. I no longer think that. I no longer think that way because I have a better handle on how much God loves me and he's a good father. And after going through four children, I haven't killed them. I mean, it's not like I went through it. I mean, I, I still love them. Um, but I'm at the end. I've got an 18-year-old and I've got four boys and they're all two years apart. Okay, so I've got like a 23 to 18 and now I have a better understanding. I do care about what they want. 
And in many times when we make decisions, we would ask them, what do you want? Some days in family life, you count the votes. Some days you weigh them, right? We don't always take a vote, but we weigh them and say, it's important. We care about you. Listen to Psalm 37.4. You remember this one. What's it say? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So now I understand, as I delight myself in the Lord, as I take pleasure in doing his will and submitting myself to him, I can look to my heart and say, what do I want to do? Of the choices that are before me, whether it's a spouse or a job or you know, buying a home or relocating, what do I want to do? In the Bible, we read about what God wants me to do. In this heart, H, this is what do I want to do. This really matters. Think about in John 15, 7 and 8. This is what Jesus says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, do you remember what he says there? Ask whatever you wish. Whatever I wish? Yes, if you, you remain in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be what? It will be given to you. Does God care about what we wish? He sure does. The Bible says that he does. But I've got to remain in him. This is not like wishing for a jaguar, right? It's not, it's not like I'd like to have a jaguar. Maybe some of you have one. Um, it's not quite, it doesn't work quite like that. Some of you are hearing me saying, now, wait, wait a second, Andy. You do know what it says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is what? Deceitful above all things. The heart's deceitful and beyond cure, the scripture tells us. So we do have to be careful with when we ask this question, what do I want to do? We have to be careful with, there's no doubt. Our heart can deceive us. There is no doubt that it can be deceived. And we'll talk about that in a minute when we talk about inward signs. But sometimes God leads us based on what we want to do, what we're passionate about doing. Do you remember the story of Eric Little? He was born in 1902. He was a Scottish Olympic gold medalist. He was born to, Chinese, to uh, Scottish missionaries in China. He attended a boarding school near London, spending time when possible with his family in Edinburgh. He competed in the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris. You remember the story? Little refused to run in the heats for his favorite 100 meters because they were held on Sunday, Sabbath. He was a good Scottish Presbyterian, had a strong view, high view of the Sabbath. Instead, he competed in the, in the, in the 400 meters, which was held on a weekday. And in the Award-winning 1981 Chariots of Fire. There's an interview with Little, and they ask him about his running and his missionary work. And this is what he said. Do you remember this line? When I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel the pleasure of my maker because when I'm doing the thing I'm called to do, I'm, there's passion there and there's energy there. And so it's the same as true for you and I. Maybe it's not running for you.
but it's some other part of your life. Listen, what is in your heart, what you want to do, what you're passionate about doing is not the only consideration for God's will. And it may not be the primary consideration for God's will, but it's a valid one and we should be asking it. Now, for the last two means of guidance. These are the two I've saved for the end because I think they're the most perplexing ones. And they're the ones that we hear most about and it's easy to, 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 to discuss these in sort of dramatic ways. But I want to try to bring some sensibility and some perspective on these. And they are this, the outward signs and inward signs. First, the outward signs. Here's how I'm going to define this. An outward sign is an external signal from God that I access with my senses. It's an external signal that I'm getting from God that I access with my five senses. I can see it, I can hear it, I can taste it, I can feel it, or I can smell it. It's an external, it's outside of me. The Bible's actually full of these kinds of signs. I mean, we don't have time to go into it, but you think about Moses on the Exodus and the pillar of fire and cloud. You could see it. You could probably smell the fire. Daniel, the writing on the wall. If you were there, you and I would have seen a signal that God gave, right? An external, accessible signal. So many examples we could use in the, in the, in the, in the New Testament. Uh, the life of Christ guided by God and, and, and at times audible voices, the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Paul in his, all his, of his journeys. Uh, you think about the Macedonian man in, in Acts 16. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Just the, really, there's, the Bible has all these examples of his external sign. So it is natural for those of us who believe in the Bible to ask ourselves, how might God guide me with an external sign? A sign. Turn to Judges chapter 6, if you would, with me. Judges chapter 6. We find the location of one of the most famous signs that we read in the Bible. And it's called a sign. And that's Gideon's fleece. Are you familiar with it? I'm sure you are. Just a few minutes on Gideon's fleece. So we only have time to read just the end of the story. But what we have here is it's the, it's the time of the judges. Gideon's our fifth judge. It's a time characterized uh, by cycles of apostasy, oppression, and then distress and gracious deliverance, right? So the context here is seven years of oppression from the Midianites and, and other Eastern peoples, the Bible tells us. The Israelites cry out for help. God sends an angel of the Lord to the threshing floor and says to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. If he came to me, he would probably say, O you mighty worrier. Because I tend to worry a lot about the Christian life or about what my decisions are. But he said, you mighty warrior. Boy, that's that's a statement. Gideon wonders about this greeting that he has. And then actually... There's, he asks for a sign. A lot of us don't know this. We haven't read the story in a while. The first sign is on the offering where the angel touches the offering and it goes up in smoke. 
That's the first sign that God was with him. Gideon was told to dismantle the local Baal altar and the Asherah pole, build an altar and a sacrifice, and then there's this commotion among town. His father defends him, and it says, the spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon, and we're going to pick it up at verse 36. So are you with me? That's Judges chapter 6, verse 36, and this is how it reads. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, I, I'm still not sure. I want to make ab- absolutely sure. Do not be angry with me. He says, let me, just one more request. Here it reads, allow me one more test, one more test with this fleece. This, the time, this time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the, the ground was covered with dew. Gideon's fleece. Sometimes our friends even, and maybe you have said this, I'm going to put out a fleece to see what God does to lead me on a choice. The question comes to our mind, is that what the story here, is that our takeaway from this? Let me say some positive things. Number one, Gideon is an, exemp- uh, is an example for us. You know, he shows up as a hero of the faith in Hebrews 11. So there are, there are parts of his life that we should emulate for sure. Second thing to say is God went along with it. There's no indication in the text that, that God was angry with him. He apparently went along with this. You say, well, you're, you're, you're arguing from silence. It could be. A couple things to say about fleeces. Because if we can do this today, we ought to be doing it. If we can throw fleeces down, because there, there are decisions that we have to make that are gut-wrenching, that are hard and difficult. And if I can put a fleece down and test, you know, then we ought to be doing it. Here's the, here's the problem. And it may have been in Gideon's day, he did not have the Bible. He may have had and did have the books of Moses and Joshua. We have the scripture. He also didn't have the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit of God came on him. Different than you and I, as we become a Christian, the Spirit of God just doesn't come on me. I'm indwelt the moment I become a Christian. Now, there's varying levels of being filled with the Spirit, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful with testing God, don't we? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 4 about testing God and his interaction with the the enemy in the desert. Could it be that God went along with this as, as Gideon was a kind of a fledgling leader? It's possible that he went along with it, but, but it's not something for us to do today. It stands the reason that God would guide these people with outward signs because they had less means of guidance than you and I do today. Think about this too. Are we ever urged in the New Testament to seek signs like this for guidance? I don't think so. We're never challenged to do so. 
Dallas Willard, philosophy professor at USC for many, many years, writer and thinker about the Christian life and the spiritual discipline, says this about signs. The immature look for the spectacular, but signs are not the mark of spiritual adulthood. I like that. I like that. Some of us look for the spectacular, but it's not necessarily a mark of adulthood. Here's my conclusion on external signs that we can access with our senses. There's, there's no harm in requesting it. God, I, want, I really want to do your will and give me a sign. <laughs> give me something, something, some circumstance, some providential circumstance, some, you know, open a door for me. We can say that. We can request that. We just have to be careful with the interpretation of it. I have a friend, Mark, it's a true story. He had a choice to make about a job a number of years ago, and he was familiar or comfortable with, with putting fleeces out, and this is what he said. I, I'm not sure about taking this job, God. If I see an eagle today, if I see an eagle today, I'll know you want me to take that job. That's a fleece. I mean, that's a, speci- that's like getting, that's a specific thing. An eagle. Have anybody seen an eagle? I mean, there's, there's a couple eagles that fly around here, but not many. So he goes to work that day, sees an eagle. He sees another one. He decides he's going to take the job. God answered my prayer. Within a couple months, he was miserable. He hated the job. What are we to make of that? Mark doesn't use fleeces anymore <laughs> in his decision making. He doesn't do that anymore. I'm not saying you can't ask for an eagle or you can't ask for a sign. You can. Just be careful with signs. And then the last thing, inward signs. Here's, the de- here's my definition of uh, an inward sign. This might be the most perplexing. An inward sign is an interior or internal signal from God not accessible with the five senses. It's it's not a sign. It's not not writing on the wall. It's, It's not something I see or hear. It's internal. And it goes by several names. Uh, A real common one is, I felt led to do this. I was praying about it and I had a peace about it. No one else, I can't prove that I have a peace about it. I just, I have this experience that I have this peace about it. It's a subjective voice. It can be even more dramatic in the form of a dream or even a vision because we see that in the Bible. Just one quote from our dear, beloved Billy Graham, who we lost this week. I love quotes. I collect them. Listen to this on this topic. When Christians say God has been talking to them about something, it simply means they have a strong inner conviction or a feeling that God has made his will known to them. That's from Billy. 
That's exactly what I'm saying. It's this strong inner feeling or conviction that God has made his will known for us. A couple words of caution with this. A lot of nuttiness goes on in the name of I felt I, call, I, I had a peace. I felt the Lord told me. There's a lot of things that go on in the Christian church that are really kind of wacky with, with that. I, I see some heads doing this, okay? Uh, and, and you know what? God is gracious, and, and sometimes we, we make decisions based on that. There's a lot of nutty things that happen. Um, and people tell me as a pastor all the time, Lord, I felt led to do that. And I think, oh, well, I hope you know. Can I give you my other means of guidance besides that? Because you might choose otherwise. Okay, a lot of nuttiness. And, and some of you who are, you know, really know your Bible will say, yeah, and not only that, but uh, we, we're constantly at battle with the evil trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes those forces interact on our lives and, and speak to us, don't they? So we have to separate all that out when we come to this sign. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's something real about this. Jesus said in John 10, he calls us sheep, and the sheep will know, I know my sheep by name, and I lead them out, and the sheep know my voice. Jesus is our shepherd. We know his voice. Acts 16, it's our last scripture we'll turn to. Acts 16, will you come there, will you turn there with me? Just for a few verses about the Apostle Paul being led. A lot of his missionary journeys, a lot of his life, God was leading him with external signs, internal signs. Um, at, times, at times, he will say, we thought it best to return to the church at such and such and strengthen them. No word from God, no special leading, just we thought it best. So he uses all kinds of means of guidance. But in 16, where are we here? Okay, Acts 16, verse 6. This is what it says. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say how, just some internal keeping from the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly what that meant from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter. By the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, to go. The spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go. So they passed by Mycenae and went to Troas. Do, do, see how God is guiding them through these internal signals that he's getting to preach the gospel. If we're a Bible student, we read that and we say, God, how about me? I want to be God. I want that kind of specific information about my life. And then we're told about the Spirit's ministry. In Galatians 5, it says we are to be led by the Spirit. We're not under the law. We're led by the Spirit. We see, we see the fruits of the Spirit there as we're led by the Spirit. And then in Romans 8, 8, 4, Paul says, because those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Are you a son of God? Are you a child of God this morning? That we're to be led by the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity indwells us and leads us and guides us.
my conclusion is there is biblical support, and this is just a few verses. This is, this is a whole series, isn't it, to talk about this. But there's biblical support to suggest there are inward signs for the believer, the Holy Spirit to guide us, including these impressions or the peace that might, he might give us. Just a note, I mentioned last week that some of my study was I gleaned from J.I. Packer's book, uh, guide us guard us it's not for beginning reading but if you want to explore deeper into this topic it's a rich treasure of, of, of this whole topic here's what he says about this just perspective it wasn't until the 19th century through the influence of the Wesleyan missionary mission work and the second great awakening that believers were looking for impressions for guidance interesting the 20th century rise of Pentecostalism has also been influential in this area. So we more modern Christians are asking questions that maybe our fathers who went before us weren't asking. In 1947, at a prayer meeting in California at a Christian conference camp, many notable people passed through there. One was Billy Graham. The camp was run by a lady named Henrietta Mears, Anybody heard of Henrietta Mears? Wonderful woman of God, teacher of the Bible. There was a man there by the name of Dr. Bill Bright. And through an intense time of prayer, saw a vision. What he calls a vision. To start something new to reach campus students for Christ. And in 1951, he started it at UCLA, and it grew and grew, and millions of students and millions of people around the world have heard the gospel through Campus Crusade for Christ. And there was a young man in 1984 at the University of Delaware that someone shared a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, and this person became a believer. My eyes were opened because of a vision a man had in 47. Does God do that kind of thing? He does. But let me give you, by way of ending this, a piece of counsel which Dr. Bright would give us at times. The more mature should lean on this means of guidance. The more mature person who can separate out the evil trinity and the nuttiness that goes on. But at times, God does something special inside of us. But it's not, it can be dangerous. So the more mature should be guided. And it should be checked against the other. What does the Bible say? What do, what do godly people say in my life? And it's not just me in my prayer closet coming up with something. Maturity matters in this area. Impressions or internal signs can be legitimate means for God's will. We accept them, but we don't demand them. I think we err if we demand to be led by God. I've tried to tell you seven things, choices in our lives. And I've said it to you because I think it's so important these seven things that God uses to guide us. And I would have told myself at Lum's Pond the following, Andy, relax. 
It may take more than one time with God. He's not in a hurry to guide you. He will guide you. And by the way, he wants communion with you just as much as he wants to guide you. He may use a time in the scripture, intensive study, but he may use counsel or he may use a sign or he may use just you thinking through the consequences of your decision or it would have blew me away if someone had told me, why don't you do what you want to do? That would have really blew me away if someone said that to me. And that's what I would say to you. I know you're in the midst of, of making some really important decisions as a body here. This is relevant. I hope some of this is applicable to us as, as a body. A lot of times when I talk with people, they pick up one or two of these seven things and that's their own personal way of God guiding them. I would suggest there are seven things that God uses. And in closing, I'll just say, it's up to him to choose the way in which he guides you. It's the shepherd who guides the sheep in these ways. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for all the wisdom we, we glean from others. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here who have heard these things that maybe they could personally benefit from it. Maybe they're in the midst of making the decision that has significant, it's very significant for their lives. And I pray for this body at Palmyra that you would guide them. We thank you for being our great shepherd and leading us and guiding us. And even today, Lord, fill us with your spirit and guide us in the things that we need to now go and do. In Jesus' name, amen.